morning. Well, we've been in this series of messages for the past several weeks, and if you if this is your first time, it's kind of like you walk into a movie midway through, and uh, you're, you're like, hey, who's that character? Who's this guy? Who's that? And, and so, uh, just a real quick summary of what we've been looking at in this uh, in this series is you have a group of of or some of the books of the Bible are known as the minor prophets, okay? And the minor prophets, these were God's messengers. They were speaking to God's people. And it came in a period of history where uh, there was God's people were off track. And so a lot of discipline was coming from God. And there was also a lot of uh, calling from God through His prophets, asking or inviting people to return to God. And so many of the minor prophets are really rebuking or or warning or you know it's just some of it's pretty harsh language and and at the same time there's this invitation for people to turn around stop going the way they're going and so the minor prophets they're shorter books for the most part and however the one we're going to look at today it's actually one of the longer one of the two longer minor prophets the book of Hosea it actually has 14 chapters but so far as we've read through these stories we we kind of get a feel for God's heart and the way He works. The you know, Parts of His character, His interaction with us, our tendencies. We start seeing ourselves in these stories. Uh, so far we've looked at uh, the book of Jonah and we've seen from Jonah prejudice and racism. And that comes up in that story of, of Jonah. And oftentimes when we think of Jonah, we don't think about that. We think about the whale, which the Scripture actually calls it a great fish, not, not the whale. And there's actually a Hebrew word for whale, and it's not the one that's used in the Bible. And so it's this great fish, and we, we get caught up maybe in some of the stories with the inconsequential details, and we miss some of what's really going on. But in Jonah, we look at God's heart for people, and how, you know, we, we tend to, you know, get really picky. And so we looked at that. Habakkuk is a uh, man whose story reminded us that there are no quick fixes in life. Everything you do in life, all the good things, all the great outcomes of your life, will take a long time to put together. All the crucial things take a long time. It's, it requires faithfulness. And so we were reminded about that with Habakkuk. Uh, we skipped Malachi. We were going to tackle Malachi a couple weeks ago, but we informed everyone about a building that we've been looking at as a congregation. We talked about why we're doing that. And there, as far as the update, uh, no new update. So we submitted an offer. We're still waiting. Uh, there's other people interested in that same property. So right now we're just in holding pattern. It's like this. Here's the opportunity, and we're not clenching down to it because it may not happen. So, so just pray. If you're curious about that, turn the curiosity into prayer, and that God would lead, just continue to lead us towards what He wants for us. So, uh, last week we looked at Haggai, and Haggai was highlighting some of the mixed up priorities of God's people and the problems that resulted from having mixed up priorities. Today we're going to dig into uh, the, the the book Hosea and. I consider this to be, in Hosea's message, to be probably the most graphic picture of God's love among all the prophets that we've looked at so far. It's kind of a PG-13 message, okay? So just be aware of that. (laughs) Because of what God tells Hosea to do. It's it's not your typical uh, assignment. So out of obedience to God, Hosea does what I'm sure no one in this room would feel comfortable with and would want to do. He says, God says, Hosea, go... Marry a woman who's a prostitute. Go marry a prostitute. Take her to be your wife. This is your assignment, Hosea. Marry a prostitute. 
Take her home with you. She's got this pattern of unfaithfulness. She has a pattern of, of being, you know, of just being a harlot. Go, go marry this woman and then have children with her. She's going to continue to be unfaithful to you and keep pursuing her, even amidst her unfaithfulness. At the end of the story, you find, at least in part of this, uh, the narrative in, in the book, you find that Hosea actually, after she prostitutes herself, he goes and he buys her back again. And so, that's a real quick summary, but the story of Hosea, uh, it's, it's a, it's like a parable, in a sense. It's, it represents some things. So, Hosea the prophet himself, Hosea, he, that's a guy, okay? Hosea, it's an uncommon name, but he, he represents uh, God, okay? In the story, he represents God and his love for people. Just the way that God cares for us and loves for us and uh, reaches out to us. Uh, Hosea's wife, Gomer, the prostitute, represents people. And it represents all of us, in a sense. And so, uh, and this is historically showing the way that God's people, God has been interacting with His people and the way God's people have been interacting with Him. And there's unfaithfulness with God's people and there's faithfulness and love with God. And so He's consistent and people are consistent. So the story is, is told through this man's life. He's living the history out. So that's a difficult assignment, wouldn't it be? Uh, very difficult. Now, one of the issues that Hosea addresses throughout his book is this. It's that we tend to forget God's love and kindness towards us. This is part of why this book is so important is we're reminded of God's love and His care. This is human nature. We get forgetful. We forget how kind God has been to us. One example in the New Testament is where Jesus is doing ministry and a group of ten lepers. Leprosy was a, a, you know, an infectious disease. It was highly contagious. And the lepers were part of the outcasts of society because they had this infection and they couldn't come close to people. So they were they had to keep the distance from people. And so these ten lepers approached Jesus at one point and they just you know asked for healing. And they asked for mercy. And Jesus does this. He sends them to get a checkup. Okay, the priests were able to check for infections and skin diseases. Thankfully, I've never had to do this as a pastor. You know, I don't want to, don't come show me your skin infections or anything like that. <laughs> but in those days, and there's reasons, and I could get sidetracked to tell you why, but in those days, the priests had this role to play, and, and, and there was, so Jesus says, go get a checkup with the local Jewish priest, and on their way to get their checkup, they're healed. They're healed from their leprosy. Now get this, of those ten lepers, how many of them do you think went back and found Jesus and said, thanks for healing me? Only one. One of the ten who were healed from this disease that cut them off from society goes back in gratitude and says, hey, thanks Jesus for healing me. I wonder how close this is to the percentage of, of, of people today and of us who actually take the time to thank God and live with gratitude for, for how He's given us life, for how He's provided for us, for how He, you know, just cares for us, how we sense at least that He's working in our lives. And we, sometimes we sense He's working and then sometimes we know He's working in our lives. There's, He orchestrates events and we think, wow, this is clearly God at work. But then we often forget to go back and thank Him for it. And so, that's Jesus with these lepers. But in Hosea's story, which is a really obscure story, that's still the message. Is this issue of, of uh, you know, not having gratitude comes up. And it is 
despite our poor memory of God's kindness, this is, this is one of the key points we're going to make this morning. It's at the top of your listening guide. This little sheet inside of your program. It says this, God never abandons the pursuit of His people. He never abandons the pursuit of His people. He goes after His people. He goes after us. And you see this in the first three chapters of the book Hosea. Now this truth here, that God never abandons, uh, ought to amaze us to the core if we really let it sink in. God loves us so much that He cuts through even our ingratitude and does what is necessary to make a way for us to actually know Him. And to really grasp this, you have to kind of step back even from Hosea, which we've not even looked at any verses from Hosea yet, but you have to step back from Hosea and and grasp the whole epic story of, of the Bible, which is that God created everything. He made all of us. So He made everything, made all of us, and He gave us everything that we need to live in a paradise, custom-made for our survival and for our enjoyment. He made all of that. He made it perfect. He said he was, he, he was good. He was pleased with it. And after, you know, all of what He created, that wasn't enough for the first man and the first woman. Based on the boundaries that He set up, they rebelled and they gave in to, uh, you know, they, they sinned, they rebelled against God and His rightful rule in their lives and we have all ratified their decision you know, by rejecting God as well. We've went our own way in life. We've chosen to lead our own lives, to rule our own lives. And from the first instant of Adam and Eve's rebellion, God immediately, right off the bat, He put a plan into play to pay the price for our sin. You see it showing up in, in basically, you know, in the, you see, Creation, you see the fall, but you also see redemption in the first three chapters of the Bible. God is just, and He cannot let sin go unpunished, but He would take the punishment upon Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the page of Scripture tells this epic story of a God who loves us and people who rebel and are unfaithful and go their own way, yet God continues to love us. Now Jesus... He came and He was the clearest demonstration of God's love for the world. In fact, He stated this, this was His mission. Luke 19, verse 10. We're eventually going to get to Hosea. But I want to set up why Hosea, where does Hosea fit in, in this major story? Says so Jesus said of Himself, For the Son of Man, He's speaking of Himself, came to seek and to save the lost. This is His mission. I exist to seek and to save the lost. I want to recover people. I want to find the, the, the broken, those without hope. I, I'm, I'm here for you. The sick, the lepers, the prostitutes, the unfaithful. I'm here to seek and save the lost. This was his mission. And so the history of the world since Adam and Eve's rebellion is really a story of God's pursuit of people who were lost to him because of their rebellion. Another passage puts it this way. Romans 5.8 says that, But God demonstrated His own love towards us, towards rebellious and unfaithful people, in that while we were yet sinners, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This whole message of God's plan to redeem lost people is woven through the Bible and it's at the very core of God's mission throughout history. And if we decide to follow Christ, then that all of a sudden changes the way that we live. We live differently. We live with gratitude. We live with purpose. You know, now Hosea, getting to this, this book, this is written about 2,700 years ago. Okay? 
It's a long time ago. Hosea is a story of God's love and is told and it's just in a very unique way. His life, this man's life, and his circumstances are this parable of God's love for us. He lives out the tragedy of our unfaithfulness to God. And so Hosea's message is this. It's that we are never beyond the reach of God's love. That's something we need to know and hear, and we, we discover that in Hosea. We need to know that we're never too dirty in sin for God to forgive. That brings me hope. That ought to bring all of us hope. We're never too far gone. I'm not sure everyone here believes that. You might be here and you might doubt that God really loves you. You might doubt that God could forgive you, that God would pursue you still because of maybe what you feel like you've been into with your life. But Hosea's story is a hopeful one. So, in, in Hosea we see two ways that God pursues his people. The first one is this. We see a persistent, steadfast love. A persistent, steadfast love. Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. He's, he's writing in a period of, of... His ministry was spanning over a few decades. There was very, very wicked kings that ruled um, Israel and Judah, ruled God's people. And that was causing major problems, which was bringing uh, severe discipline Spankings were coming for God's people because of the way that they were being unfaithful and because of the way their leaders led them unfaithfully. So, chapter 1, verse 2, it's, it's, here's the story of Hosea. It says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom. It's not a word we often use, but basically a prostitute. Go take this prostitute to be your wife and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now remember, Hosea represents God in the story. You're going to be like I am with my people. And your wife, this prostitute, is going to be just like my people have been in history. They're going to struggle and she's going to struggle to remain faithful to you. Now, he goes and he does this. He sets out to obey the Lord. Imagine being given this assignment. How could he, how could he do this? How could he move forward and say, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm signing up for that? Or why would he do that? This man's life, for everyone in the future, would be a picture of God's love and God's kindness and forgiveness and the price that he would be willing to pay for us. And so Hosea, he follows her. He marries this lady. Her name is Gomer. They have three children together and their names are... I, as I read the names, they, they are like reminders of Israel's sin and the discipline that's coming. It's not going to be up here on the screen, but, but basically they have a son. The first son is named Jezreel. And there was a, a wicked king named Jehu, and he um, was a violent man. He massacred some people in this valley called Jezreel. And so Hosea is instructed to name their first son Jezreel. And it's going to be a reminder that God is going to pay back His people for their wickedness that occurred in that valley. So, Hosea knows the history. And so, can you imagine God giving them him this assignment? Marry this woman. Have children. Okay, now for the first one, I want you to not Bob, not Charlie, not Hudson, not, you know, uh, you know, the, the, you know not Charlie. I already mentioned Charlie. Not Christopher. Come on, give me a good one. Give me. How about Jezreel? That would be like, that's, that's a dark part of their history. 
Jezreel. What? Did I hear this right? First I marry a prostitute. Now I give her this name that just is a dark place in our people's history. God's saying, because I'm going to pay back (laughs) what occurred in that place. And I want you to remember. I don't want you to forget how my people have been unfaithful. They have a daughter together. And the daughter, God says, name this daughter No Mercy. No mercy. And basically, there's a time where God allows us to go our own way and reap what we sow without Him. And so Israel in the north had been so evil and so wicked, especially through their leadership for hundreds of years, that they would now experience a period of severe consequences. There would be no mercy. And so God is saying, this is, again, this is going to remind you about what's coming to my people. Because your life is, is being lived out like a story for everyone. And they have, so they have that daughter, no mercy. <laughs> That's not her name, by the way. That's what it translates to mean. It's, it's like lorumwaha. Lorumwaha. But in Hebrew, that's what it means. No mercy. And then he says, with, with uh, your third son, call him lo, uh, I think it's lo ami. It's, you're not my people. That's what it means. You're not my people. And the, the, the point is that with these two, these final two names, you know, the, the, this issue is you're not my people, and you're you are uh, not going to receive mercy. This is not automatic. He's saying this, this relationship is not automatic. You're not just born, you know, into God's family. We we actually have to choose to follow Him and respond to His offer. And so, wired into this man's history. His storyline is all of the history of Israel. And so at the very beginning of this, we see the heart of, of God. God takes a wife, or Hosea takes a wife, this prostitute, in this very strange way. But it's in order to show that God does not abandon His people. So there's a purpose in, in the Lord's persistence. Here's the purpose. God kindly pursues us so that we would turn back to Him. He keeps going after us so that we would respond to Him. And as we walk through some passages, some verses here, keep in mind that these verses in this story has been fulfilled already in Jesus Christ. This is what we experience as we come to know Him and walk with Him, as He leads us out of an unfaithful way of living. These promises that we're going to look at, because these are first like judgments, these, these names, but the promises that we're going to look at in a moment are actually for us. There's hope. And so the imagery mostly used in Hosea is that of a man who continues to pursue an unfaithful wife. Now look at this next verse. Second chapter. And there's 14 chapters. I'm just highlighting a few key verses to help you understand this. But I would uh, challenge you to read this 14 chapters this week. You'll, you'll get a much better grasp of it. Uh, if, just a quick summary. You can write this down if you're taking notes. Chapters 1 through 3 are the sto- is the story. Okay? 1 through 3 is the story of Hosea and his wife's unfaithfulness, and his pursuit of her. It's the story. So if you need the narrative, read 1 through 3. But then, chapters 4 through 14 are the warnings and the judgments and the rebukes that that are within the storyline, basically. This is why God is is doing what He's doing. You, You read about that. And so there's a lot of poetry in there. Uh, settle in because it's it's poetry, so it's, it can be difficult reading, but you can do it. So, but look at chapter two, verse fourteen. Okay, in chapter two, verse fourteen. There's this love song from God to His people. It says in two fourteen, therefore God says, speaking of Israel now, who has been unfaithful, just like Gomer the wife. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. 
and bring her into the wilderness that I could speak tenderly to her. God's plan is to woo His people back after they've been unfaithful. He draws us to Himself in kindness. And this passage displays the imagery of how God does this in our life. He speaks to us in, in our heart of hearts. At the very core of who we are, God, if we're listening, He lovingly draws us to know Him. And He invites us to relate to Him out of love and out of kindness. The Lord is not going to shout in our ear, Hey, stop doing what you're doing. Hey, hey, stop being unfaithful. Hey, return it. He doesn't often shout in our ear. He often speaks softly to our heart. And He calls us back to Him, to return to Him. And if, if you are being drawn to the Lord, and you, you sense there's a period where you've been wandering, and now you sense God is trying to get your attention, it's because His Spirit is speaking softly to your heart. And that's what Hosea is, is basically delivering this message to, to Israel. God's calling us to, to return Him. He's wooing us back. Even though we've been unfaithful, He's wooing us back. Now in parallel, Hosea is doing this with his wife. Come back to me. She's, been, she's already unfaithful at this point in chapter 2. She's already gone and, and prostituted her, herself. And he's trying to pick up the pieces. Now look at this promise found in chapter 2, verse 15. The very next verse, it says this. Here's a promise. After unfaithfulness, God says, There I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. You're wondering, who's that guy? Where's that? What is he talking about here? Um, the valley of Achor is a dark memory for God's people. Uh, after God's people in, in late Deuteronomy, Joshua, as they advance into the promised land under Joshua's leadership, they advance in Jericho. We learned about this a few months back. Uh, one of our pastors spoke on this passage where there was one man who, after God said, hey, take the city of Jericho, burn everything up, don't, don't try to hide things and take the spoils for yourself, devote it to me. God says, just burn everything up, don't take anything. One man wasn't faithful to what God said. He hid some things, kept it under his tent, and it caused a real problem. So they head into the next battle, and the Israelites get spanked. And people die. And so Joshua's like, God, what happened? We've done what you said. You, you let us here out of the hand of Egypt. You rescued us. We're no longer slaves. We're free people. We're getting our land. We just defeated, you know, we had this massive victory in Jericho. Now we've just got you know, nearly destroyed and they're, they're running. God, what? And then God says, there's, there's, there's sin in the camp. Someone's hiding something. And so they discover, they discover this man named Achan has been hiding things that he took, spoils of war he took for himself. And so it comes to the surface and the man, he, he gives an account. He says, I did this. And, and uh, he is stoned to death. He's stoned to death. People had died because of what he did. Then he dies. His family died. There's this dark memory for Achan, and it happens in this in this valley of Achor, which the valley of Achor just means the valley of trouble. That's how they remembered this place. Now, God is saying to Hosea, I'm going to turn this troubled valley with this dark history into something that is very hopeful. I'm going to turn this around. This will be a gateway for hope. Basically he's saying, I know you've been unfaithful in your history, but I'm not through with you. I can turn this around. I still can love you. You'll still experience my love. 
Now, pause for a moment. When the memory of our own sin comes up, our major failures, the things that we have done, the things where we have failed God, when those memories come up, what do we want to do? We want to duck and hide. We want to run for cover. We're embarrassed. We want to maybe put a blanket over our heads so we don't have to look at anyone. When we start thinking of those things, whether it's God maybe convicts us of, of some things that we've not dealt with, or maybe it's just stuff from the past where we're, our mind goes there, or someone reminds us of that, we don't like to go there and remember the past. Just like the Israelites don't like to remember this part of their past and what happened in that valley. If, if, if they could have taken a do-over, they would have wanted to. With our sin, if we could just take a do-over, we would, we would do that. I bumped into an old college friend recently at a park, and, and I always enjoyed talking to this guy. He was, he was always a fun guy. I met him as a freshman in college. Um, but as, and every time I see him, I have the same experience. Um, I see him, and I'm like, good to see you. And I, I, I just kind of go back to the, the friendliness of, of, the, of the relationship. But then, not long after I start talking to him, I remember, oh yeah, I defaced some of his property as a college freshman. And he found out years later that I did that. And, and I, I, at one point it came up between the two of us. This is probably 15 years ago. Like, hey, I, I remember, you remember that sign? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, that was me. <laughs> and I admitted what I had done. And, and I apologized. But that story always seems to come back up to haunt me. And I know this guy's forgiven me for the, for what I did to his property. And he, la- he can laugh about it, but it's still embarrassing. Still embarrassing. And, and that's how so much of our sin and so much of our past really is. We have these things that we know about ourselves. And then sometimes other people know these things about ourselves. And, then, and, then, and it comes up and so often we walk around defeated and hopeless. Sometimes it's stuff we've done. Sometimes it's stuff done to us. And we walk around defeated and we find ourselves ashamed and living for less than God intends. You know, the reality is that that's where you're at. If you're hanging your head and if there's this troubled valley in your past and you feel like there, there could be no hope for me, there's no hope for me, you might think that that's just you, but no one in this room can claim goodness. No, not a single person in this room is righteous. Every single one of us bears uh, the guilt and the shame of our sin. And because of that, we often... We just need to remember, with our dark valleys, we can experience hope. Though we have been unfaithful to God in many ways, we have lived for ourselves. Uh, God, He's extended something to us that He can can provide a door of hope even out of a messy past. And it's from that point that God calls us. He calls us out of that darkness. He pursues us at our real point of need if we'll turn to Him. Here's another promise. Look at chapter 2, verse 19. This is an astonishing promise that God makes to His people. I will betroth you to Me, He says, forever. That's like engagement, okay? I will betroth you, speaking to His people, who've been unfaithful. I will betroth you to Me forever. I will betroth you to Me in righteousness and justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to Me in faithfulness. These are all My terms. God's saying, I'm going to... This is how I love you. This is how I'll relate to you. I will betroth you to Me and you shall know the Lord and in that day... When I restore your hope, when our fellowship and relationship is back intact, 
I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. Now he starts talking about, he's going to turn things around for his people at some point in the future. He's going to turn things around. For, for the son named Jezreel, that represents Israel's wickedness. He, said, he says, you know, the land will produce good things. Heavens, you know, rain, new wine, oil, all these. There'll be, there'll be hope. There's hope where we, we just think wickedness. He says, I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. That daughter. The daughter who's, you know, no mercy. I will have mercy on those who, who thought they were cut off. And who thought there was really no hope for them. And then he says, and I will say to not my people, that's the third son, you are my people. And you shall say, or, and he shall say, you are my God. God is saying, if you will come back home, I will go back to the days of our betrothal. I will go back to the days of our engagement. It will be like a do-over between me and, and you. Things will be good between us. When we return home, God doesn't give us the punishment that we deserve. He completely changes our identity. He makes us new. And He will withhold nothing good from us. No need to cringe when you come to know Jesus Christ and you really understand His forgiveness and the life that He has offered to you. There's no need to hang your head in shame. You you can look Him in the eyes. He's saying, "I'll, I'll relate to you like I did in the days of our engagement. We can know God. We can relax in His kindness. Many of us here have experienced that kind of freedom as a result of God's persistent, steadfast love. And you're able to lift up your head. You can experience forgiveness. You can experience hope even from some of the darkest things that you have been into. You're not out, you're not out of God's reach. That's what this story is about. Hosea is saying, God's saying, your wife, she's been unfaithful, but she can be redeemed and restored. Now, a second way God pursues us is, is through kind discipline. And you see this in, again, in this story, Hosea chapter 2. Chapter 2 is more about God's relationship to His people than it is Hosea's relationship to his wife, Gomer. But, so think of it in terms of God to His people. This is what He says to His people who've been unfaithful. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns. I will, I will hedge up, I will build a wall of thorns, this big hedge of thorns, up against my people. And I will build a wall against her. They've been unfaithful. I'm going to build a hedge of thorns so that she cannot find her paths. She's going to stumble around. And it says this in verse 7, She shall pursue her lovers, because she's unfaithful. Israel, God's people have been unfaithful. But she will not overtake them. She shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then he says, Then she shall say, Israel... And then this, this unfaithful wife will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. I'm not in a good spot. I need to go home. God's, God's saying this is the experience she's going to have because of her unfaithfulness. And when God disciplines His children, His aim is always to turn their hearts back towards Him. This is the backdrop for the entire book. But God's discipline takes two forms in these two verses. The first one is this. When pursuing a selfish path, it's a prickly path. As we see in verse 6. There's this hedge of thorns, God says. When you go, when we get unfaithful, God builds this wall of discipline. It's a painful season when we get off track, isn't it? We think, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going I'm to just live it up. YOLO. I'm going to live for now. Getting off track. No boundaries. No one writes the, the rules for me. But sometimes we find ourselves and it's just like a prickly, prickly life. 
painful consequences. Those things are intended to get our attention, to prick us, and to cause us to stop going down that road and to turn around, to turn back to the Lord. Maybe right now you're on a prickly path. Today you can stop. You can, you can say, I need, I, I'm ready to change. I repent. I'm ready to change my life. Turn my life over to God. I want to start fresh. There's some things I've been into, some behavior I've been a part of, some things that, if God, if He'll change me, I, I, I return to you. I repent. I'm yours. Maybe that's where you're at today. Verse 7, here's another element of it, of God's discipline is, when pursuing a selfish path, it never brings real satisfaction. So we're told in this story, she, she's seeking her lovers, this unfaithful wife or unfaithful Israel, seeking after all sorts of things, but she's never finding the satisfaction. You might get what you want temporarily, but you don't get the real lasting stuff. You don't get the satisfaction. Have you ever reached the end of your rainbow and found that pot of gold? You don't, you don't find it. Hosea is full of all this thought-provoking poetry like this. So read it. Let's wrap up by looking at this this point here. Overlooking God's kindness is what makes us forget Him. We God has been so good, but when we overlook His goodness, we often just lose our memory. Much of the book of Hosea is just a reminder that God has shown kindness to His people over and over. This group of people that He intends to reach the whole world through, and one of the most epic acts of, of history of the history of God's people, was when God led His people out of Egyptian captivity. They were slaves in Egypt. And and several epic movies have been made about the Exodus, God rescuing His people. Look at Hosea chapter 11, kind of near the end of the book. It's reminding them of their history. God said this of His people, I led them with cords of kindness. This is when He called the Israelites out of Egypt. I led them with cords of kindness and with bands of love. I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and I fed them. God eases the yoke of their jaws. He brought them out of slavery. He bent down to His people and He fed them in the wilderness. This is a picture of of what God does for us in Christ. He breaks the chains of slavery to sin. And He gives us the, the nourishment that we need to make it in life and to continue on in life's journey. And whenever we forget that, it doesn't go well for us. And Hosea just walks through many ways that we forget God. Here's, here's several of them. He, they forsook Israel, God's people forsook the Lord, and, and they worshipped other gods constantly. We struggle with this. Anytime we, we start worshipping anything other than God, making more th- things more important than Him, money, people, work, family, we start putting up idols in our lives, we forsake the Lord ourselves. We, we mimic what the Israelites did. They ignored His laws. Many times they just is like, what laws? God doesn't have any laws. There's no boundaries. And we do the same thing. Or, or they turn to powerful kings. Instead of trusting in God, they would turn to earthly kings. We do the same thing. Sometimes it's, we have a problem, we need help. Rather than turning to God first, say, God, please help me here. We, we look for some other powerful person to help us. We do the same things that they did. They had duty without heart. They would just get into religious rituals. This is in chapter 6 of Hosea. We, we can do religious stuff, but our heart can just be cold towards God. You might be here today, and that's, that's where you're at. You just, I'm doing this thing, I'm not really sure why I'm doing this anymore. That's where the people of Israel were. Empty words and promises, these are other things we find. People just didn't keep commitments. They were trusting in their own strength. All of these different ways that the Israelites forgot about God add up to us as a warning. And here it is. We, we must not forget God 
and His kindness to us. We cannot afford to forget it. If we do, we live for less than God intends. And Hosea is a story, and I, again, I invite you to read through the full thing yourself. It's a story of God's love for His people. And the prophet lives it out just as God instructed him to. And if you've personally experienced the love of God in Christ, then His love has fueled your life. It fuels your life mission. It helps you cooperate with Him. It helps you cooperate even with us here in church because you've experienced His kindness, His forgiveness, and that's the motivation to serve people, to to share your life with others, to give, to do things that no one else could explain why you would do that unless God has really saved you and rescued you out of, of a life of darkness. And you know what's amazing in this story is God would not give up on Israel. He would not give up. At the, at the, at the beginning of chapter 3 in Hosea, Hosea's wife is off with another man. She's enslaved now to someone. She's a slave. And only imagine what that means because of her line of work. She's a slave. And God says, go find your wife. She's living with another man. Go find her. Yeah, but she's been, she's the prostitute again and I have these kids, I'm responsible. You know, I, don't, I don't know the circumstances of his life, but I'm sure he's not thrilled about this idea. What about the, the messy between us? What about the possible diseases? What, oh, go find her, he says. And so, because he's the representative of God, he, uh, he refuses to abandon his wife. And he pursues her. And when Hosea finds her in, in, in the home of another man who she's a slave to, Hosea asks the question, how much? doesn't matter the price. How much? That's my wife. This is what God does with us. We're his people. Hosea goes and he buys his unfaithful wife back at great cost. And there, there is a, that's a picture of God's heart for us. Here's how much He loves. Here's the picture. This is how much He loves you. He sent His one and only Son to die, to pay our ransom. We were enslaved to our sin, but that's how much He loves you. And this book, the book of Hosea, is a picture of what Jesus has done for you and me. He paid the high price of... of, Death on the cross to buy us back from the slavery and the penalty of our sin. And this is powerful. Look at 1 John 4.10. This is what love is. It is not that we have loved God, but that He loved us first. He loved us and sent His Son to be the means by which our sins are forgiven. And because God has done this, we, we cannot afford to erase from our memory, what He has done. We have to live in light of, of what He has done in this pursuit. I want to encourage you to, as our worship team comes up to the stage, to consider what is it that God has said to you this morning from the story of Hosea, from the, the verses we've touched on. What is it that you sense God wants you to do in response today? Here's a few suggested next steps. Number one, these are on the bottom of your listening guide, also on the back of the connection card. My next step today is to return to God and receive His forgiveness once again. Maybe you have gotten off the path and you you are headed down an unfaithful path. You would say, you know, I'm, I'm a Christ follower, but I have been unfaithful to my God. I've walked away from Him. I've chosen to live independent from Him and, and I've gotten off 
track and I'm living a life of sin. And today I want to return to God because I sense He's saying to me, come back home. I want to receive His forgiveness. I'm already, you know, if you're, if you're a Christ follower, you are, you are already headed to heaven. But the deep valley of trouble and sin and the prickly path that that is keeps you stuck and it breaks your fellowship from really hearing from God. And so if you're trying to move forward but you feel like I'm stuck, I'm not hearing from God anymore, it just feels dark and empty, if there's sin there, you got to clear the sin out with God. you got to get one-on-one with Him and start confessing sin. He'll forgive you. He's already paid the price on the cross for our sin, but our sin still breaks our fellowship. Scripture says that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe today, God is saying, I I brought you here this morning because I want you to experience cleansing again. And if you need someone to pray with you, come and speak to any of our pastors at the back table today. We would love to pray with you, pray for you. Second, for the first time, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and commit my life to Him as, as the boss. Maybe you've never really begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never yielded your life to Him. And you're, you're here and you're not quite sure you understand everything about what it means to, to know Christ personally, to be a Christ follower. If you want to learn more about that, on the, if you mark this on your connection card, um, on the back of your connection card, we'll just follow up with you and clarify what it means to be a Christian. If you're ready to become a Christian today, and again, you need some help crossing that line, going from what, what is really spiritual death to, to new life, come back and, and talk with any of our staff. We'd love to share with you and help you become a Christian today and experience a new life and a change. Last, there's just a line there, so if God says something very specific, I just encourage you to obey whatever He's asked you to do. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word, for the truth that we find in it. You never fail to cut through through Your Word, which is living and active, the core issues of life. Thank You for how You speak powerfully to us through Your, uh, through your Scripture. Father, I pray you would pinpoint and not let us stumble down a prickly path any longer. If, you, if you're calling us to return to you or come to you for the first time, Lord, I pray we would not resist that. I pray that we would be ready to respond. Thank you for bringing us here, for speaking to us, challenging us. Lord, help us to get into Hosea a little deeper for ourselves this week. Lord, give us the help we need when we're trying to trudge through it and understand it. Lord, please turn the lights on through your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.